Thank you for tuning in to The Way Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, we seek to showcase the way that God wants us to live by looking at what is written in His Word. The Bible says God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is That Way. Here is your host, Houston Welch. Welcome back to The Way Podcast. I'm your host, Houston Welch. And today we're going to be looking, um, continuing our discussion, furthering our discussion of examples of the Old Testament that we uh, living under the New Testament being um, uh, held accountable uh, to the New Testament or by the New Testament. We look at these certain um, scenarios, these certain individuals, certain peoples uh, as examples, whether being good or bad. And the one that we're looking at um, today is Job. Now, each of these that, we, that we're discussing is coming directly from a passage of the New Testament where a New, Ta- New Testament author directly states that this or this occurred to this person or to these people, however it may be, however it reads, for an example for us or that these people are an example uh, for us or this person is an example for us, etc., Today, we're looking at uh, James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Now, the preceding context is discussing um, rich men who oppress uh, their their workers, Um, talking about uh, they're they're holding back what is rightfully uh, their their employees, those they are um, providing um, work for. Now, that's not to say that uh, that, that that James is um, all for uh, communism, so to speak, but he is also for justice, uh, doing what is doing what is right. And if you're hiring somebody, you pay them what is rightfully theirs. You pay them for their labor, and this is a type of oppression. This is a type of 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 infliction affliction. Um, and then so James, beginning of verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the gardener waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives the early and latter rain. You be also patient. Establish or, or stabilize or solidify, uh, ground your hearts, for the coming of the Lord uh, draws near. Do not grudge one against another, brethren, lest you yourself also be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door. Verse 10 and 11 are key uh, verses here. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job. You've seen the tend- the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So James is calling upon us to take for an example the prophets, particularly he mentions Job. Job is perhaps, aside from our Lord, the greatest example of patience that we have in the Old Testament, that we have in the Bible, of those or somebody enduring great, tremendous affliction and agony. 
Again, only next to our Lord is Job an example of patience and long-suffering. So as we begin, let's first discuss what is patience. Most of us uh, today think of patience as, um, let's say you're going and you're, you're waiting on your old to get changed. You're being patient. You're patiently waiting. Uh, there's also the joke um, stated about, uh, well, one mother, she, she had uh, four or five uh, young boys, and she joked saying that God, uh, that she prayed to God to give her patience, and she gave her, uh, he gave her four or five uh, boys. And that, you could say, is uh, having patience, the definition of patience in mind, but I believe a more accurate um, view of patience would be to look at it from the Bible. Look at the, what the words um, the, the authors used and how they uh, defined patience. So there are two words which we have translated in the New Testament as, as patience. And both of them are used interchangeably in James chapter 5. So he mentions them um, back and forth, implying, well, we're talking about the same exact thing here, even though they have two somewhat different meanings. The first one is literally long-passioned or long-spirited. And this, we know the, the word passion, the archaic term passion, is accompanied with, with suffering. Whenever you say compassion, it is you are suffering with an individual like we're going to, to notice or like if you've ever read the book of Job. And at the close of Job chapter 2, his three friends had compassion on him. They went and they suffered with him. They sat down for seven days and seven nights, didn't speak a word, just grieved and mourned along Job's side. They were suffering with him. They were being good friends, frankly. This word can also be used to describe um, anger. Not you. You can imagine passion, uh, the the flaring of somebody's not uh, nostrils whenever they're whenever they're uh, frustrated when they're angered. Uh, this is it's the same word which is used in the parable of the unforgi- uh the unforgiving servant. You might be able to recall that account. Jesus said there was a certain uh, king and one of his servants owed him a great deal, uh, millions of dollars uh, in, in modern terms, an unpayable amount. There's no amount that this particular servant would have been able to work and pay that money back in, in multiple lifetimes, let alone his own lifetime. So he owed the king and he pleaded with the king for the king's patience to long uh, to, 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 to forbear, to prolong his wrath, to prolong his anger. Well, that unforg- uh, that servant, he went uh, and had somebody else who owed him a minute amount, especially compared to the amount that he owed, and he would not forgive. He would not be patient. He would not forbear. And so there those words are, are used interchangeably. But then... There's another word which James uses, and it is hopeful endurance. It's enduring out of hope. It's it's suffering long with hope accompanied. You have hope uh, one way, 
uh, of viewing it is you have hope that your suffering is going to end. And not just in death, but rather that your suffering is going to end and that there's something better on the other side of the suffering. You have hope of something better and therefore you endure. And so these are our, these are our words um, that are used in the New Testament. So it's, it's hopeful endurance or to suffer long. And like stated before, what can we think of as a better example of suffering long than Job? Looking at Job, I want us to first to look at everything that he had because this plays a part in in his suffering. First of all, the Bible calls him a perfect and upright man. So he was complete. He didn't lack anything spiritually. And he was straight. He continued forward spiritually. He was on the right. He was in the right direction. He was perfect and upright. And I cannot think of, of better words to describe Jesus himself. Complete spiritually. Did not lack anything spiritually speaking. And he was on the direct path, the right path. So Job, as we're going to discuss, uh, um, when we discuss shadows, Job, we're not going to discuss Job as a shadow, but Job could be considered a type of Jesus because Jesus is the suffering servant. Job also is known as the suffering servant as well. He was a complete and upright man, one that feared God and shunned evil. Fearing God... We could look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12. What is the, the essence of man? Fear God and keep his commandments. So those two being paired with one another and eschewed evil. So not only did he keep the commandments of God, but he also kept himself away uh, from what was against God, what was wrong and what was evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And so so a, a quite a lineage, uh, lineage, quite a heritage there with those. And now I want us to, to take an example, uh, to take a moment, excuse me, and look at his substance. Substance was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, a yoke being two. So he had 1,000 a thousand, a thousand, uh, 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 head of cattle, 500 female donkeys, and a, the Bible says, the King James Version says, a very great household or husbandry. You could view that as all of his servants, a very great household as in his servants, or you could view that as all of the land and all of the farmland and all of the crops that Job had, uh, that being uh, the very definition of, of husbandry, gardens. So that this man, the Bible says, was the greatest of all the men of the East. So during this time, in the known world, the East, Job was the greatest. Now, it's been speculated as to when Job lived. It's likely that he lived before uh, Moses. Uh, it's speculated that he lived somewhere around 2200 B.C., which would place him right around the time of, of Abraham. And we know of Abraham's wealth. We know Abraham was quite a wealthy individual, even continuing down to um, Isaac and, and Jacob, as well as Esau. And J Job was still yet considered the greatest of all the men in the East. 
Job was essentially a king without having the title of, of king. I want us to look at some of, some of these things to put in to put into perspective of what and I want to mention before as well 7000 sheep 3000 camels 500 yoke of oxen or cattle uh, and then he says 500 female donkeys I believe that each of these is only mentioning the females only mentioning 7000 female sheep it's not mentioning the offspring and it's not mentioning the rams. 3,000 camels, I believe, again, this is only the, the female camels. 500 or 1,000 head of cattle, I believe this is only mentioning the female cattle, not the offspring, not the calves, and certainly not the bulls. So looking at these, what would be, what, how would his wealth translate over into modern times? To put into a modern perspective. So he had $1.4 million worth of sheep, female sheep alone. He had $3 million worth in female camels. Um, looking, looked up, tried to look up an accurate um, estimation of how much a, a, you know, a female, an average female camel is today and uh, of course, if you tried to purchase a camel in the United States, you're going to pay an extravagant amount, um, not what the, the the actual market would hold where they are native, let's say India. In India, uh, I believe it's somewhere around 75,000 rupees, which would um, translate over to $1,000 uh, US. So 3 million uh, in camels, female camels, 1.8 million in female cattle, that being two in a yoke, so a thousand head of cattle, and then a half a million in female donkeys. Now, that's in today's time. That's not talking about back in Job's time whenever donkeys were worth a, a lot more than what they are today. And then you have to consider all of the land that Job had to, to have to keep all of these animals. 700 acres of land for the sheep alone, 2,000 acres for cattle, 6,000 for camels, 250 for the donkeys. That's just under 10,000 acres for the animals. And probably much more because we haven't even counted in all of the calves and we haven't counted all of the bulls, the, the, male, um, the male animals. So that's 10,000 acres for the female animals alone. Not to mention all of the acreage that he had for cops. It says that he had a very great household or husbandry. So he was also keeping crop, uh, crop land. Also, all of the barns and the stables for the animals and, and to work them to make sure that you were caring for them properly, that they had the proper care. Then he had housing for all of his servants and all of his children. Job was quite literally the greatest man in all the East. Not only was he great uh, and he was, he was complete and upright spiritually, feared God and eschewed evil, but also from a purely solely physical perspective, Job was a king in the East during his time. And now you can imagine what it would do to an individual to lose every bit of it. Of course, we know the account that there came a time when the sons of God came to present themselves before uh, God himself, before the Lord, and the adversary, the devil, the, uh, Satan, 
he came also. God asked him, uh, from where have you come? And Satan answered, going to and fro in the earth and, and going up and down in it. God knew that, that Satan had something against Job. Job was a perfect man. Of course the devil has something against him. And so he says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. Uh, recounting the character, or the, his character. Then Satan answered and said, does Job fear you for nothing? Put a hedge about him, about his house. You, you, you're protecting him. Of course he's going to serve you. You've given him everything that he has. He's the greatest man on earth currently. Of course he's going to serve you. Of course he's going to glorify you. So God said, well, let's test it. And he gave Satan the permission to take everything away from Job. Including, not only did he take away all the uh, sheep, not only did he take away all the camels, not only did he take away all the cattle, not only did he take away all of the oxen, and likely much of the property that he owned as well, if the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans are coming in and taking these away, uh, Job no longer, and he also no longer has his servants. Uh, he's left with, I believe, four servants. He no longer has a means of tending to all this land. He no longer has a means of, of continuing his wealth. So it's likely that those servants had to leave as well. And he lost all of his children while they were um, in a particular house on one of the children's birthday, a whirlwind came, smoked the four corners of the house, the house fell on them, and they all died. So Job is left with literally nothing except himself and his wife, perhaps his own house, maybe. Every bit of it was taken from him, stripped from him within 24 hours. And it seems like a lot less time than that because while each individual servant was speaking, another servant came. So it seems to happen all at once. The Bible says that Job rent his mantle, and he shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and in response, worshipped God, saying, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord takes, has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God foolishly. So Job has, take, has all of his wealth taken away from him. Everything that God has given to him in a moment has been stripped away. And this further solidifies uh, what is stated in the New Testament. Paul told Timothy to charge them that are rich that they do not trust in uncertain riches. The reason for this is exactly what we read about in Job. It took him likely years to accumulate all of his wealth, all of his belongings, all of his earnings. And like stated before, within a span of 24 hours or less, every bit of it was taken away. Now, I know that there are many ways that's, that people can suffer today. Aside from persecution, like back in James, this wasn't persecution for somebody's faith. James wasn't talking about patience in regards to, to persecution. He wasn't talking about enduring persecution. 
though that is a part of it. He's talking about your employer not treating you fairly, not treating you correctly. And we can think of many worse ways that people suffer today. Losing loved ones, just like Job did. Losing their job. Losing their means of, of living, exactly like Job did. Or worse, rendered incapable to work, provide a living. Whatever tragedy may have, may have fallen on them, cancer coming to a family. Now they have to worry about their loved one, a spouse or a child or, or a parent or even a cousin. Nobody wants to deal with these things. And we also have, uh, currently as recording, a pandemic going on. Many people are suffering in that regard. There are many ways that people can suffer today. And so this is certainly an example for us. Could you imagine, in a moment's notice, losing everything? You don't have time to worry about, what am I going to do tomorrow or a week? And Job lost it all. He's basically homeless at this point, without a dime to his name. But in all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God foolishly, or charge God with folly. So, the next thing that occurs, sons of God came to present themselves before uh, the Lord again. Satan has this exact same exchange, except saying, skin for skin, yeah. All that a man has will he give for his life. Jesus says, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And what shall, uh, Though a man gain the whole world and lose his soul, what does it profit? Satan was using that. All that a man has will he give for his life. He talks with God, negotiating, requesting that if he put forth his hand now, touch his bone and flesh, and will curse him to his face. So the Lord says, okay, let's do it. Let's test it. And so he gives... Job's health into Satan's hands. But he tells him, don't kill him. Spare his life. So, what Satan did was he went forth and he smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his crown, uh, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And it says that he took a pot shard to scrape himself everywhere. He sat down among the ashes. And this it caused his wife to say unto him, after losing everything and after losing her children, do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. So, Job has lost it all. He's hanging on by a thread. Um, like one brother stated, he's hanging on by the skin of his teeth. That's all he has left. Now he is a naked man with sores all over him. He's sitting amongst the ashes. Talking about these boils for a second, and we, we mentioned um, health as, as, a, as a health concerns as a form of suffering. 
and it certainly is. Job now has these boils. Um, not many people uh, are able to experience boils, and, and thankfully so. I personally haven't experienced any boils like like Job has. But you can imagine these these sores all across Job, incurable sores all across him. And it says that he scrapes them. He scrapes them with a pot shard. So, so they're irritating. They're likely itchy. And if you've ever had a mosquito bite and you've, and you've scratched it enough and you know that it leaves an open wound, and then whenever you go back and try to scratch it again, how much worse it gets and how bad it hurts, imagine having a completely open sore that you're having to scratch and every time you touch it, it hurts. Job has these all over his body. So he is quite literally in perhaps the worst shape that a human could be in. You've lost everything. You've lost your family. Now your wife, you've, you've basically even lost your wife. You're covered in sores and you're hanging on by the skin of your teeth. So how do we endure like Job? The Bible says that, that he endured, that he suffered long, and Job is quite a lengthy account. The, the rest of the remaining chapters is a discussion between Job and his three friends, and then finally Elihu, and God rebukes him toward the end of it. We'll talk about why God rebuked Job, but first, I want us to notice each of these times that it says that in all this Job did not sin. Job chapter 1, verse 22, verses 20 through 22. Job's response to his suffering was he worshiped God and he never charged God foolishly. And then again, at, at chapter 2, verse 10, he, he rebukes his wife for saying, Curse God and die. He doesn't want to curse God. And the Bible says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So that's the response that we have, is to keep our, our focus aligned. Job was a perfect and upright man. He was a complete and upright man. He was aligned and he remained aligned throughout all of this. And so, quite literally, that is how we endure. Keep your focus on God. Stay fixated on Him and don't charge Him foolishly. Don't blame God. It's easy for us, even from an outside perspective, reading the account of Job to think, well, God caused all of this. But that is not the case. Now, there's more background uh, to the, the exchange between the devil and and God, and why God actually let him go forth with all of this and to, to cause such suffering upon Job. But at the end of the day, it was the devil. God did not cause any, any of this. Now, we have to say that God allowed it, that he permitted it, because he certainly did. But then, of course, the question is bid, well, why? Why did God allow it? Why did he permit it? And that's a discussion that would take much more time than what we have. But to endure like Job 
We have to keep our mind aligned. Keep our focus on God. And don't ever let ourselves be caught up in thinking that God has caused this. That God is forcing me to suffer. It's the reason why James says in, in James chapter 1, Let no man say when he is tempted that he's tempted of God. Now, yes, it's talking about, uh, he, he later goes on to explain that, it, that he's talking about spiritual temptation. Being tempted to sin. But in the opening of that chapter, it says, Count it all joy when you um, uh, endure temptations. So those temptations in the opening of, of the book is outward trials. It's such things as losing your job. It's such things as, as health, health issues that are coming up or, or whatever it may be. Suffering affliction in this life. Let no man say when he is tempted that I'm tempted of God. Jesus said to pray in this manner, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That being outward temptation, outward trials, the affliction and the suffering that, that is in this world. Don't lead us into it. Lead us away from it, essentially. And deliver us from evil. Deliver us from those temptations when we're in it. That's the proper attitude in regards to suffering. I know that you haven't done this to me, God. But I know that you can get me out of it. Well, that's all that we have time for today. We appreciate you for tuning in. Uh, We pray and hope that this uh, might have encouraged you. That, that you have um, been edified from it, that it's helped you in any way. And if you believe that this, will, that this podcast will help, this particular episode might help somebody, uh, please share it with them. Um, and go give us, check us out on Facebook. Give us a like and share. Uh, if you have time, go check out some of our Sistering podcasts, perhaps the Everyday Christian podcast, maybe the Diligent podcast, or um, the Weathering the Storm podcast that airs every Thursday alongside this one. Uh, We do appreciate you. If you need to reach out to us in any way, um, all of our information is in the description down below. Uh, We love you, and have a good day.